Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Season 7, Episode 18 of Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and we've got a creepy double feature for you all to welcome in the new year. Our first story tonight is The Disappearing Boy from P.D. Williams. Lenore is a high school student at Ridley High. 
she has just met a new transfer, the sullen and downtrodden Tommy Naughton. It quickly becomes apparent that there's more to Tommy than meets the eye, and things quickly spiral into the horrifying. I'd also like to extend thanks to Danielle Hewitt, who will be joining us on this story. Following that, we have K.E. Brown's The Sidewalk Man, in which a freak accident causes a nearby college student to start seeing strange things. What is real, and what is merely the result of the brain responding to such a traumatic event? Welcome to 2023, listeners. Let's start things off on the right foot with something spooky, shall we? You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Did I mention they were ad-free? Thank you for your support. And now, from author P.D. Williams, I give you The Disappearing Boy. I never believed in magic until I met Tommy Naughton. The first time I saw him was in my 11th grade English class at Ridley High in 2001. He looked odd with his gapped-up haircut and baggy clothing. He always smelled like sour sweat. Ugh. He rarely made eye contact, never spoke unless spoken to, and sat as far back in the classroom as the wall would allow. I was sorry for him, but pity doesn't do much to cure another's social awkwardness. Then one day, Tommy went from being a social outcast to the talk of the school. It all started when our English teacher, Mrs. Sharon, gave us an assignment. Okay, listen up, people. When I call on you, I want you to come up. Then I'd like you to tell everyone something unique about yourself. A special talent, family history, interesting hobbies, anything. We'll go alphabetically. First up, Larry Anders. Let me tell you, there was nothing special about old Larry. Still isn't, from what I hear. A few kids had some cool things to share, like Teresa Donovan. Turns out one of her uncles was a roadie for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Skylar Murphy held the swim team record for holding her breath underwater, a whopping five and a half minutes. I dreaded my turn. For once, I was happy to have the name Len Zilstra, but my dread must have paled compared to Tommy. Tommy Naughton? said Miss Sharon. Tommy was reading a book, or pretending to. Tommy, put the book down and come up. I'm sure everyone else is a little embarrassed too, said Miss Sharon. Tommy lowered his book and looked at her solemnly. When he spoke, somewhere between a mumble and a whisper, no one could understand him. I can't hear a word you're saying, said Miss Sharon. I said I have nothing to share. You could tell us how you plan to kill your barber, 
That was Brad Oberstrom. Butthole. Everyone guffawed. Poor Tommy looked mortified. I couldn't stand the cruelty for another second, so I raised my hand. I don't mind taking his place, I said. I hated going next, but anything was better than watching Tommy being humiliated. That's thoughtful, but I called on Tommy, not you. She glared at Tommy. Mr. Naughton, a weary world awaits you. Yes, ma'am. Tommy placed his book on his desk, then shuffled to the front of the classroom, Snickers following him with each plodding footstep. Oh boy, this is going to be timeless. Brad again. Butthole. I think Mrs. Sharon felt sorry for Tommy now. She looked remorseful, sympathetic. When the uproar died down, she gently addressed him. Tommy, hun, you can start whenever you're ready. I promise we'll give you our full attention. Maybe it was my imagination, but I could have sworn he looked right at me. It wasn't a harsh stare. It was as though he was singling me out. I have a special talent that no one else has. Some people who practice magic say they have this ability too, but they're lying. For them, it's just a trick. But I can make things disappear. For real. It's called teleportation. Want me to show you? I spoke up, surprising myself. Would you? Make something disappear, I mean. Tommy gave me that odd look again, as if he were only going through this to impress me. Sure I can. I think you'll like it. Gazing around the classroom, he said, Does anyone have a small object like a watch or a ring? I got a watch, Peter Travers said, passing it forward. Watch closely. Tommy cupped the watch between his hands and massaged it with his palms. He stopped, then opened his hands. The watch had disappeared. A collective, whoa, swept over the classroom. Dude, that was cool. Where'd it go? Peter asked. I teleported it to another place. I can do that, make something disappear and wind up somewhere else. He turned to Mrs. Sharon. Ma'am, would you open your upper right desk drawer? The place went wild when she opened the drawer and retrieved the wristwatch. Mrs. Sharon looked like she had just pulled out a three-headed chicken. How? She stammered. How in the world did you do that, Tommy? Because I know real magic, he said matter-of-factly. May I sit down now, ma'am? Of course. Thank you, Tommy. Poor Tina Newsom. How the heck was she going to top Tommy's act? Typically, the kids in English sauntered in, sat at their desks, and exhaled one of those, why do I have to take this stupid course, sighs. But that day, everyone seemed excited to be there. Mrs. Sharon sensed the energy. My, you guys are lively. Is there something I don't know? Before anyone answered, Tommy drifted into the room. His head was down, his shoulders slumped, and he was hitching up his baggy pants with every other step. There he goes, the magic maggot! 
Oberstrom. Butthole. You might have thought Lady Gaga or Eminem had entered the building by the jubilant faces that morning in English 101. Eager eyes followed Tommy as he made his way to the back of the room. He took no notice. I suppose he wasn't used to being the object of attention. He sat down and looked out the window. His face was full of melancholy, as if he were watching a funeral procession. Mrs. Sharon snapped the class to attention. Okay, everyone, please take out your textbook and turn to Chapter 5. I hope some of you have read ahead. As we pulled our textbooks from our bags, Mary Glover held up her hand. I was wondering if we could wrap up a few minutes early today. I'd like, I mean, we'd like to see some more of Tommy's magic. Judas Priest, Glover, Chris Sampson said, rolling his eyes. It ain't magic. I've seen a million magicians do the same trick he did. Others mumbled in agreement. Settle down, everyone, said Mrs. Sharon. We're not here to see magic tricks. It's still an English class. And besides... It's not a magic trick, the small voice said from the back corner. It's real. I can make things travel from one place to another. Teleportation, I said. You called it teleportation. He glanced at me. That's right. Thank you for remembering. Is that something you might enjoy doing, Tommy? Mrs. Sharon asked with delicacy. Tommy looked around at the pleading eyes. Sure, I guess so. With 15 minutes left before the bell, Mrs. Sharon put down her pen. Okay, fans. Let's put away our books and prepare to be amazed. Tommy Naughton, come on down. There were several woo-hoos and chants of, Tommy, Tommy, as he took his place at the front of the classroom. He waited for the noise to diminish. When he spoke, his voice was still light, but now it sounded more confident. He seemed more confident. Yesterday, I teleported a wristwatch to Mrs. Sharon's desk drawer. Small objects are no big deal. But what if you could move a person? Wouldn't that be something? No way, said Amy Knight. Then I'll prove it to you. Tommy searched the room and stopped at a large cloth banner with an amateurish painting of Earth and the words, Let's keep it green, under it. Mrs. Sharon, ma'am, is it okay to use your banner? Yes, yes, she said with childlike giddiness. Do you need help to take it down? No, ma'am, I've got it. Tommy stood on tippy toes and removed the cloth from the wall. Then he took his place beside Mrs. Sharon's desk. Now you see me, he said, concealing himself with the banner. Now you don't. From under the covering, he said, Are you all ready? Just shut up and do it, Oberstrom yelled. Tommy's muffled voice began counting down. Okay, three, two... Everyone gasped as the empty banner floated to the floor. The screams came when Tommy appeared in the doorway. One. We erupted in cheers as Tommy returned to his desk. Mr. Edelman, the science teacher next door, raced in. Monica, is everything okay? 
Mrs. Sharon was breathless. Myron, you should have seen him. He disappeared. He really disappeared. Who disappeared? Should I call the office? No, I'm, I'm not talking about someone going missing. I'm talking about magic. Er, I mean teleport. Ah, oh, hell. That kid over there went from standing next to me to outside the doorway in an instant. Before she could say more, the bell rang. Tommy stood first. As he crossed the room, everyone stopped moving and talking. They watched with silent reverence as he left, as though they were working up the nerve to touch the hem of his garment. I was happy for him. At first... Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. By the following day, everyone knew about Tommy's ability. I saw some kids corner him in the hall, insisting that he make something disappear. Come on, dude, show us some magic, one of them shouted. Others chimed in. Tommy recoiled and threaded himself through the relentless crowd. Then he jogged away, pages from his notebook dropping behind him like breadcrumbs. After a few days of hectoring, Tommy relented and began performing quick sleights of hand between classes. His popularity grew by the day. Soon, he'd gone from being nervous and withdrawn to eating the attention up like cotton candy. He became the main attraction during lunch entertaining the ever-growing crowd of onlookers with one feat after another. The one that had everyone talking was when he made his feet disappear. He had a beach towel he'd brought to school for the performance. He stretched it out so that it was horizontal, then stood behind it with only his legs showing from the shins down. With each of his hands grasping an upper corner, he raised his right foot behind the towel so you couldn't see it. He put it down and did the same with his left foot. Then he lifted both feet so that he appeared to be floating in midair. He put his feet back on the ground, tossed the towel aside, and took a flamboyant bow. There were over a hundred people in the cafeteria that day, all clapping, yelling, and chanting his name. After that, no one called him Tommy anymore. He was now the one, the only, the disappearing boy. Tommy changed after that. He still dressed like a dork and wore that god-awful hairstyle, but he held his head up. He was confident. Teachers, students, it didn't matter. 
they couldn't take their eyes off him. He became the school celebrity, and I became the focus of his attention. It started out kind of cute. A wave in the hall, a wink in class. But then I started getting an eerie vibe, like I was being watched. Everywhere I went, he'd be nearby, wearing that spooky smile. One night, at home in the shower, I had an unsettling feeling that someone else was in the bathroom. There was no way anyone else could fit into the tiny space, so I shook it off as paranoia. I was almost undressed when I heard breathing behind me. I froze. Something cold and clammy touched my shoulder. I yelped and spun around. No one was there. I waited, but nothing happened. I turned on the water and waited for it to get warm before climbing into the shower. While I was rinsing off, I turned toward the semi-clear curtain and saw Tommy on the other side, looking right at me. My heart nearly shot out of my chest. I snatched back the curtain, but he was gone. My breaths were quick and loud, and I was shaking despite the warm shower. I set a land speed record for getting out of the bathroom. I bolted to my room and locked the door behind me. The air was cold, and it smelled like stale perspiration. Hello? I muttered. I peeked under my bed and checked my closet. Seeing nothing, I settled down enough to go to bed. I turned off my table lamp and wriggled under the covers. That was when I sensed eyes on me, piercing the shadows. I sat up on my elbows and peered into the darkness. When I saw Tommy standing in the corner, leering, I screamed. I thought I'd never stop. My dad burst into the room and flipped on the wall switch, but Tommy had vanished. When I told my dad what I'd seen, he didn't believe me. What did your mom and I tell you about watching those stupid Nightmare on Elm Street movies? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. You scared us half to death. Despite his frustration, I wouldn't let him leave until he'd searched every inch of my room. Even after he pronounced it monster-free, I slept with the light on. I dreaded seeing Tommy the next day, but it was unavoidable. When he came down the hall toward me, I averted my eyes. As we passed each other, my stomach was so roiled with nerves that I thought I might throw up. When he arrived in English class, I pretended to be looking through my backpack. The thought of him sitting near me with that jack-o'-lantern grin made my skin crawl. It went on like that for days. Each time I met Tommy, he was bolder. He began speaking to me, something he'd never had the nerve to do before. In the hall, hi, Lenore. Once at the mall. Wow, what a beautiful surprise. Things came to a head one day in the cafeteria. I was sitting with my friends, enjoying my favorite lunch, a PBJ, potato chips, and a diet soda. Becky Martin was across from me. 
She was in the middle of one of her hilarious stories when she glanced up and stopped mid-sentence. Tommy dropped onto the seat next to me with a tray of food. Don't stop talking on my account. I just wanted to sit by Lenore. My face flushed. Um, do you guys need some privacy? Becky asked. I lost it. What is your problem? I snarled at him. Do you think because people find you interesting that I'm going to go all googly-eyed over you? Leave me alone! His eyes flashed with anger. Then he stood from his chair and spoke, loud enough for everyone to hear. Hey, listen up! I've got another cool thing to show you. Want to see it? Shouts of excitement echoed through the cafeteria. Tommy glowed as he addressed his legion of fans. Lenore here has some curious culinary tastes. Let's see, she's got a PBJ. How lame! Gales of laughter. We've got chips and diet soda. Doesn't one cancel out the other? More guffawing. I wanted to die. I'm gonna do Lenore a favor. I'm gonna make this junk disappear because I'm... The Disappearing Boy! The crowd chorused. Tommy snatched my brown paper bag and crammed my lunch into it. He shook it a few times, then turned it upside down. Nothing fell out. No one responded because they knew the best part, the wow part, was coming. With a flourish, Tommy finished his act. That lunch is trash, and where should trash go? In the trash can! They all screamed. Tommy pointed to a 55-gallon trash can several yards away. A tall, skinny girl was standing near it. Hey! He shouted to her. Look in that trash can and tell me what you see. The girl peered into the container. Her mouth dropped like a drawbridge, and she gasped. It's here! That chick's lunch is right here! The entire cafeteria made a beeline to the trash can. A big guy, some uber jock, yelled, You guys gotta look at this! It's the same stuff he put in the bag! Becky and my other friends looked flabbergasted, all but Ella Grassfield. She looked concerned. Oh, Lenore, she said. You've got problems. Hey, if you're still hungry, the jock shouted at me. I know where you can find your lunch. I had all that I could stand. If Tommy's goal was to repay me for the humiliation I'd caused him, then he accomplished his mission. I grabbed my things and ran from the cafeteria. I returned to the main building and entered the nearest girl's restroom. I checked to make sure I was alone. I couldn't bear being embarrassed again. When I was sure that the room was empty, I locked myself in a stall. I buried my face in my hands and cried until my eyes burned. I was distraught at first, and then I became afraid. Was he out to get me now? Was he going to show up at my house again? I avoided Tommy as much as I could. I started eating my lunch in the restroom. I dreaded English class. 
His gaze was always on me, like an oil coating my skin. As his fan base grew, Tommy got cockier, which means he made more enemies. The football team's left tackle, Luke Tyler, had a problem sharing popularity with the school's outcast. According to gossip, Luke confronted Tommy in the boys' locker room one day. You must think you're the big man on campus, the jock said. I ought to cram your skinny butt inside that locker. Tommy was calm as a pond. He looked up at Luke towering over him and grinned. Tell you what, walk into that shower stall over there, pull the curtain, and let me transport you. If I fail, I'll walk through the school naked. If that won't make a guy humble, I don't know what will. But if I teleport you, you leave me alone. Do we have a deal? Luke made a hasty decision. He should have made a careful one. Yeah, it's a deal, gooch sniffer. He walked to the nearest stall and closed the curtain behind him. I'm waiting. Well, off you go then, Tommy said. After a moment, one of Luke's teammates spoke up. Luke? Hey, Luke, quit messing around. You think he's in there? Another guy asked. The teammate crept toward the stall and snatched back the curtain. Luke was gone. Where'd he go? Somewhere else, Tommy said. He finished getting dressed and left. The others searched the changing room. They inspected stalls, opened lockers, and searched hallways. They found nothing. A couple of days passed with no sign of Luke. Detectives interviewed everyone who'd seen him last. Police officers led a search team and dogs around the school and surrounding areas. They checked hospitals and morgues. Nothing. No one accused Tommy outright. They didn't want to sound like children wondering where the magician's rabbit had gone. Despite Luke's disappearance, the team played the game on Friday night. Our guys won, 38-17. to 17. That meant a Saturday afternoon celebration. As was the tradition for many years, fans gathered at the school's back parking lot to celebrate the win. They called it the Victory Smash. Students took turns using a sledgehammer to pound an old junker car painted blue and white, our school colors. Each time a blow landed, a cheer broke out. Five minutes into the celebration, a female student walked to the rear of the car to knock off the bumper. She was about to lift the sledgehammer when she stopped. Her lips curled and her nose crinkled as if she'd come across a dead skunk. Oh my god, she said. Does anybody smell that? I think it's coming from the trunk. Mr. Farnham, the head football coach, joined her. He took a whiff and covered his mouth and nose with his elbow. Jeez, I smell it too. He turned to the girl and motioned for her to give him the sledgehammer. Stand back, he said. Coach hammered at the bottom seam of the trunk. On the third strike, it popped open. Coach grabbed the girl and pulled her close to his chest, turning her face away from the car. 
Someone call 911. Now! He hollered. A murmur passed through the crowd. A boy walked to the trunk, gazed in, and blanched. It's Luke! He's dead! Some people screamed. Others rushed to the trunk. Many of them wretched. Others puked outright. That night, I had a terrible dream about Luke. I was walking by the junker car when I heard a scratching noise and someone yelling, Let me out! I opened the trunk. The lid had bloody scratch marks on the inside. Luke was there, curled up in a ball. Buzzing flies streamed from his nose and mouth, landing on his dull, milky eyes. His blue lips peeled open, and his dead eyes locked onto mine. A gooey mass of fat worms cascaded from his mouth as he croaked, Ta-da! I woke up screaming. People avoided Tommy after that. The hoots and hollers turned into worried whispers. I thought Tommy might have picked up on everyone's wariness whenever he walked into her room, but either he didn't notice or he didn't care. The dragging of his feet had become a victory march. Not long after Luke disappeared, I was at my locker when Tommy came up to me. Hi there, he said. Shame what happened to Luke, huh? I know everyone blames me, but the part they leave out is that he insisted I make him disappear. He never clarified where. I could sure use a friend right now. I think the entire school's against me. What have I ever done to make you think I want to be your friend? I asked, trembling. Yelling at you in the cafeteria? The way I've been avoiding you? What exactly? He looked surprised. I don't understand. I thought we had a connection. I was only trying to impress you in the cafeteria. Everything I've done has been to impress you. Humiliating me in front of everyone did not impress me. Luke's death did not impress me. Showing up at my house did not impress me. I'm afraid of you. Why don't you make yourself disappear again? And this time, don't come back. He looked stunned. I thought he might cry. The old sadness returned to his face. I wish I could say I was sorry for him, but I wasn't. After I stood up to him, he didn't scare me as much. He was still a timid little weirdo. Okay, he muttered. I understand. Bye. He turned and walked away with that same pathetic shuffle. I was relieved when Tommy didn't show up at school the next day. I felt like I could breathe again. I was in my third period social studies class when Principal Haynes leaned into the room and motioned to our teacher, Mrs. Brown, to join him in the hall. When she returned, she was red-eyed and sniffling. Guys, she said, something awful has happened, and I'd rather you hear it from me. She bit her bottom lip. We were just informed that Tommy Naughton has passed away. Please keep his family in your prayers. The poor woman seemed devastated by the news. A sob spilled from her. I need to step out for a moment. 
I heard her crying all the way down the hall. None of us said anything. What was there to say? Most of the school had never met Tommy. They only knew of him. Over the course of the day, rumors swirled about how he died. A hit and run, a deadly assault, and other nasty scenarios. It turned out that he'd killed himself. He'd been found hanging in his grandmother's shed. He'd left no note of explanation, only his lonely corpse. My emotions and thoughts were jumbled together. Sorrow for his family's grief. Comfort from not being afraid anymore. But mainly guilt that my harsh words might have driven him to take his own life. I thought back to the morning when Tommy had shown up out of nowhere, of the bizarre events that led up to his departure. Now you see him. Now you don't. Tommy had made me anxious and fearful, but that didn't mean I shouldn't show some compassion. That's more than I can say for his so-called fans. The funeral service was depressing enough, but the lack of attendees made it even more tragic. Only a handful of students came. Not even Principal Haynes bothered to show up. I was grateful that Mrs. Sharon and Miss Brown were there. An elderly woman sat up front with a couple of other adults. I heard someone say that she was the grandmother whom Tommy had moved in with after his mom had died. She was bent by grief, hitching with despair. The most heartbreaking thing about burying her grandson must have been that so few people mourned him. They had laid Tommy out in a cheap, no-frills coffin. He looked odd wearing an oversized gray suit, his gapped-up hair slicked back. A rent-a-priest pretended to know about the kid he'd never met. After the service, two funeral home attendants shuffled to Tommy's coffin and began lowering the lid. Now you see him. Now you don't. I skipped the graveside service. Several folks were driving in the opposite direction of the cemetery, so I figured I wasn't the only one. I thought about going home, changing clothes, and returning to school. Maybe doing something normal would help take my mind off Tommy. But when I got home, all I wanted to do was to go to my room and nap. I fell asleep right after my head hit the pillow. I didn't wake up until after dark. My parents had let me sleep. My stomach growled. I hadn't eaten anything since breakfast. I didn't know what was being cooked for dinner, but it smelled terrific. I couldn't wait to get downstairs. I went to the bathroom and took a shower to wake up. As I returned to my bedroom, I found the lights were off. I was 95% certain that I'd left them on. As soon as I entered, I froze. Tommy, dressed in his funeral attire, stood next to my bed, wearing that awful grin. I took off like a bullet, screaming. My parents attempted to calm me down, but I couldn't stop shaking. We all went upstairs to my room to look for Tommy, but I knew he wouldn't be there. 
Mom and Dad exchanged worried looks. They tried to convince me that the recent events had left me overwrought and that the hallucinations would stop, but I knew it wasn't the last time I'd see the disappearing boy. It's been decades since I sat in Mrs. Sharon's English class, looking at the nerdy kid hiding behind a book. I remember how acceptance by his peers hadn't encouraged him, only corrupted him. Tommy had a gift. Most of us believed that. But the naysayers were always trying to figure out how he'd pulled off his illusions. They never did. Tommy said that what he did wasn't a trick, but real magic. That's the thought that haunts me. I see him, now and again, around my house, at the office or somewhere in the distance. He mainly shows up in my nightmares. Forever sixteen, he looks like he did at his funeral. Sometimes he's gloomy. Other times he has that horrifying grimace etched into his thin, pale face. I shiver every time. I've considered going to a shrink hoping they'll tell me it's all just a guilt-induced fantasy. But then, I think, if a person can disappear and wind up someplace else, couldn't he teleport himself from a buried casket? Over the years, I've become accustomed to his appearances. My husband claims to have seen him from the driveway. He looked up and there was Tommy, glaring at him from one of the upstairs windows. That's my Mike. The thought of the Carolina Panthers having another losing season terrifies him more than seeing the ghost of a long-dead teenager. But my eight-year-old, Stella, is another story. She started seeing him a few weeks ago. The first time, she woke up screaming about the scary boy standing at the foot of her bed. I wasn't ready to tell her his story so I convinced her it was all a nightmare. Then I curled up next to her and held her until she went back to sleep. The other night, she caught him looking over her shoulder while she was watching TV. Remembering the awful horror of her screams still makes the hairs on my arms and neck stand on end. Finally, I decided to be truthful with her. Oh, Mama... She said, Can't you just tell him to go away? I feel so impotent. How do you tell your child that you can't protect her from a ghoul in her home, or that we now share a common nightmare? I just pray that someday, somehow, I can help her find some peace and acceptance. Deep down, I wonder if I ever truly found either. It's late. The lights are out. Mike and Stella have been asleep for hours. I'm waiting, listening, trembling. I smell sour sweat. I'm not surprised by the sound of Stella's closet door squeaking open. Now you see him.
You've been listening to The Disappearing Boy by P.D. Williams. P.D. Williams is an author, composer, and multi-instrumentalist who enjoys writing about himself in the third person. Let us not say mean things about P.D. Williams. His short horror fiction stories have appeared in the popular Scare Street and Night Terrors anthology series. His work has also been featured on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Drew Blood podcasts, as well as on previous episodes of Horror Hill. And here's our last one for the night, listeners. From author K.E. Brown, I bring you The Sidewalk Man. I don't know what drew me to the window that day. The weather had been fickle. As is always the case with weather in Alabama, it could not seem to make up its mind whether it should cling to the summer or give in to the winter chill. Perhaps that's why I was looking out my apartment window, to check the weather. This all happened before smartphones, after all. As I looked out the window and down to the small town street outside my second-story apartment, my eyes were drawn to a man in blue coveralls as he made his way down the sidewalk. Again, I can't say what drew my attention to him. There were certainly more interesting things to look at on the street, what with the sorority girls decorating the pool hall right across from us for an upcoming party, this slowly walking man, however, drew my full attention. As I watched him, an overwhelming fear grew inside of me, so powerful that I thought I might become sick right there at my kitchen window. It confounded me as much as it disgusted me. That's when the branch broke on the oak tree across the street. I heard the crack and glanced upwards to see it fall right into a power line snapping the line like an unwanted thread. Our power went out, shutting down the television and leaving our sparse apartment mostly in darkness. What the hell? I heard my roommate, Adam, exclaim, but my focus was still out the window where the branch and the line fell to the sidewalk, the branch falling on empty concrete well away from the man in the coveralls. The power line, however, swung up and away, landing directly on the man's back. There was a flash of blue, and in seconds the man was consumed in flames. The live line melted through the fabric of his clothes and fused to his flesh, filling his body with so much voltage that his organs started melting as quickly as his skin. I must have sworn or gasped or something to make Adam step up beside me. I was frozen in shock, but Adam had always been the quickest to act. He pulled out his Nokia flip phone and dialed 911. I could hear him shouting that there was a man on fire in the street. I couldn't move, my senses consumed by the smell of burning flesh, the sounds of screaming from the street, the taste of my fear, and the sight of the burning man as he turned. I swear, he turned and looked up at my window, his eyes meeting mine through the flames. 
I was broken from my trance by Adam's large hand on my shoulder, and I turned away from the scene below to look at him. He was inches from my face. His mouth was moving, but it took me a moment to understand what he was saying. What happened? He asked. Powerline, I whispered. Adam's eyes widened and he spoke into the phone. Get the power company here, he said. They'll have to shut the grid down or something. He's still... He's still burning. And he kept burning, even when all that was left was a pile of ash and bone. It took the city hours to get the grid shut down. Nobody could approach the burning corpse until after it was off. He just burned as we all watched. Adam and I gave a statement, but I have no clue what I said. The rest of the day is a haze, due in part to the joint I smoked when I couldn't seem to relax. I couldn't let it affect me for too long. The next day, it was back to classes, running from labs to study groups to intramural soccer practice and spending as little time as possible at the apartment. It still smelled like burning flesh, even two days after the incident. I had to sleep, though. The second night after the fire, I got in bed after Adam had gone to sleep. It was a tiny apartment with just one bedroom barely big enough for two twin beds on either side. Adam and I were both busy guys, not often at the apartment we shared, so we weren't too painfully aware of the cramped space. It took me a while to fall asleep that night, with the smell of smoke still lingering, impossibly, in the air. Adam's bed was on the side of the room with the window, the orange light of the street lamp angling into the darkness and casting a square glow directly on the wall beside my bed. As I dozed, I imagined that I saw a shadow slip across the orange light, as if someone had walked past my window. That was impossible, though. Our apartment was on the second floor. I closed my eyes, quickly writing the shadow off as some trick of the light. I'd no sooner fallen asleep than I felt a crushing blow to my sternum, the air whooshing out of my lungs just as another blow fell. My eyes shot open, and I sat bolt upright in the bed. What the fuck, dude? I yelled as soon as I caught my breath grabbing my shoe from the floor and flinging it across the room at Adam. He let out a snort and a sleepy, huh? in the time it took me to leap out of bed and yank his quilt to the floor. Why'd you hit me? I shouted. Adam looked at me, blinking slowly like an owl in the moonlight. I, I what? You hit me in the chest, twice! I was asleep. He said it slowly, like he was trying to calm a rabid dog. How could I hit you? My chest was hurting, throbbing with each beat of my racing heart. Well, someone did, I shouted. I was asleep. Adam repeated it, hands up in a placating fashion. He was still lying in bed in his boxers, not trying to rise to talk to me. Then who hit me? 
There was a loud slamming noise on our bedroom wall along with the muffled shout of our chastising neighbor, who was also our landlord. I had to calm down. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. My chest still hurt from what I thought had been two punches from my roommate, but I hadn't seen any guilt on his face. There had only been confusion as he stared up at me in the dim orange light. And really, he wasn't an aggressive guy. He was the type who would trap a spider in a cup and release it outside instead of squishing it. He wouldn't just punch a guy in his sleep. But my chest still hurt. I'd been hit with something, right? Maybe... Maybe I dreamed it, I whispered. But I didn't believe it. Uh, maybe, Adam said, his voice still slow and steady, gentle. Must have been some dream. I nodded, swiping my hand through my hair, which had gotten too long and always hung in my face. Sorry, man. Need something to help you sleep? I got something. I went out into the living room and smoked a joint. I finally fell asleep on our too-short sofa. I might have forgotten about the whole ordeal had it not been for the two bruises that appeared on my chest the next day. I didn't show Adam. I thought it might freak him out, or worse, that he'd think I'd done it to myself or something. I'd had a history of that kind of thing, a history I didn't want Adam to know about. College was supposed to be a fresh start for me, a chance to leave all the crazy behind. Before that man caught fire on our sidewalk, it had been a fresh start, and I was desperate to keep it that way. For a few days, things went back to normal. Then, I saw him again. It had been hot for November, humid and debilitating even as the leaves turned yellow, red, and gold. I was laying in my bed, drenched in my own sweat, as Adam snored in the bed across the room. My eyes were drawn once again to the orange glow of the outside light reflecting on my wall. I stared at the four oddly stretched rectangles of light as my eyelids grew heavy. My eyelids lost the fight with gravity for only a moment, but when I opened them again, a man-shaped shadow filled the majority of the lighted space. My body turned frosty, joints locking up and limbs forgetting how to move. I slowly managed to roll my eyes away from the ominous shadow and toward the window where the light was coming from, expecting to see the burning man standing there, glaring. Of course there was no one there. We lived on the second floor. I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, and held it to the count of three before opening them again and looking at the reflected light on my wall. The shadow was still there. Was I losing it? Where was the shadow coming from? Adam, I whispered, my throat so dry I could barely understand myself. Adam, I called louder. This time he stirred. Huh? Look, I whispered, still too scared to move. I saw his head turn, and his eyes caught the light as he looked my way, scanning my side of the room. 
A bizarre sensation of relief and terror flooded over me, chilling my already hypothermic bones when I saw his body tense up and his eyes widen in fear. He sat up slowly, picking up his thick framed glasses from his bedside table and putting them on. The lenses reflected orange from the outdoor light, like two blood moons staring right at me. He looked at the shadow, then turned around to look out the window. Then he was up and across the room in a second, flipping on the light and looking around, muscles tight as if ready for a fight. His eyes scanned the room, and I realized he was looking for an intruder. That made sense, but I knew better. In two steps, he was back across the room and peering out the window. Finding myself no longer alone with the mysterious shadow, I sat up, turning and putting my feet on the cheap, grungy carpet. I made my way across the room and stared out the window with Adam. I don't know what it was we expected to see. A floating man staring into our second-floor bedroom window? There was nothing outside other than the empty sidewalk and the orange street lamp across from us. My heart began to slow. Then, there was a flash of blue from the ceiling fan above us and the light went out. The darkness returned. I turned back toward the wall, where there were now three man-shaped shadows etched out in the orange light. Only two of them made sense. Adam let out some creative cursing, but I could barely find my voice. What is that? I asked. Fuck! Adam hissed before trotting out of the room and into the hallway. I followed behind him, not wanting to be alone with the shadow. After turning all the other lights in the apartment on, Adam and I went to the hall closet to find a spare bulb together. We didn't talk about it. We just moved. We went back to the bedroom. The shadow was still there, watching us as Adam screwed in the new light bulb. The lights returned to the room, casting away all shadows. Look around, Adam said. See if there's maybe something in the room that could be making it. We looked. There was nothing. For college guys, Adam and I were both pretty neat, a product not of our personalities, but of the extreme lack of space in our apartment. There were no piles of laundry or books stacked high enough to make that shadow. There was nothing we could see to disturb the light from the street. After a while, we gave up. Adam turned the light off. The shadow was gone. I didn't sleep that night. I could have slept on the couch, but I wasn't a coward. I stayed in bed and stared at the blank space where the shadow had stood. I had an uncomfortable feeling the shadow was staring right back at me from wherever he'd hidden. I wish I could say it all ended then, with one night being hunted by a shadow, but that would make me a liar. I'm many things, but I'm no liar. Four nights I laid in bed staring at an empty square of light on the wall. I didn't sleep. After falling asleep in the middle of an art history exam, I decided I should do something about it. I called my psychiatrist. 
Dr. Chernock was technically a pediatric shrink, but he's the only one I'd talk to after... after last time. He listened to me for a while before prescribing the same sleeping pills he'd prescribed to me when I was a teenager. I'd always hated those pills. They clouded my mind and made me slow, but I thought taking them would be better than not sleeping. The pills worked just fine for the first couple of days. Then, the nightmares started. Actually, I'm not sure I'd call them nightmares, at least not the first ones. Every night, I dreamed that the man from the sidewalk would come into our room through the window, bringing the acrid stench of burning meat with him. He'd stand at the foot of my bed, his blue coveralls still smoking and hanging from his body, having melted to his skin and stare down at me with burnt, smoking holes where his eyes should be. The disturbing thing was that during these dreams, I couldn't move. I couldn't sit up or tell him to leave or even blink. I was completely paralyzed as he stared at me with his black eyes. Dr. Chernock said it was sleep paralysis, a side effect of the pills. He said it would pass once my body got used to the drugs, but it never did. The dreams simply got longer. It felt like I was locked into an eternal staring match with a ghost. I kept waiting for him to talk, and he did open his mouth one night, only to reveal his lack of a tongue. I'd read somewhere that prisoners who were electrocuted often bit off their tongues in the process. Never thought I'd see that for myself. The moment I saw that stub where his tongue should be was the moment I finally understood him. Suddenly, I knew why he was there, why he was appearing to me and not Adam. Some part of me, some dark, disturbing part of me, must have enjoyed watching him burn. Deep inside, I was just the kind of guy who liked watching others suffer. I got sick pleasure from smelling his flesh burn night after night. What other reason could he possibly have for coming to visit me? It was a valid point, and the sidewalk man wouldn't have been the first person to make it. I'd had to meet with Dr. Chernock, after all. The worst thing about these nightmares was that they always left me more exhausted than I'd been before. Each day I'd wake up as a shadow of myself. I'd roam the apartment, I'd go to class, I'd even go to parties. The whole time, I felt empty. People began to notice, concerned at first. Soon, their concern morphed into something else. I wouldn't call it fear, exactly, but discomfort, maybe even intimidation. People would cross the street to avoid having to pass me on the sidewalk. I'd always been a runt of a guy, so that was a new experience for me. I have to give Adam credit. He tried to have my back there at the beginning of the end. He was a good friend, checking up on me and shit. Then Adam brought Cassidy home. I could never have planned for Cassidy, 
She was perfect, a real-life princess. She smiled all the time, laughed at Adam's jokes, and was always so nice to me. But I could tell she thought I was a freak. I even told the sidewalk man about her one night when we were alone, Adam spending the night at Cassidy's place. She thinks I'm crazy, I said. She thinks me and Adam made you and your shadow up. I bet she's trying to get Adam to kick me out so she can move in. The sidewalk man's empty eye sockets gazed down at me, but I knew he agreed. I knew he wanted me to stay, not Cassidy. As predicted, it was only a matter of time before Adam asked me to move out. When our lease came up, he wanted me to find somewhere else to live. Cassidy and me, we're getting serious, man, he told me. It's time for that next step, and I know you've hated it here since we saw that guy on the sidewalk. This place scares the shit out of you, right? Did it? I guess, at first, I was freaked out. But by this point, I'd been seeing the sidewalk man in my dreams for months. I was used to it. I couldn't remember what life was like before the dreams. I don't remember what I said to Adam, but when the sidewalk man came to visit me that night, I was ready. We can't let them stay here, I told him. You don't want to be stuck with them, do you? As always, the sidewalk man remained silent, but for the first time, his silence made me angry and I knew what I had to do. I didn't say it out loud. I couldn't. But my thoughts were loud enough that the man heard them. He heard them, then he burst into flames, just like he had that day on the sidewalk. The cops would say it was an accident. A tragedy, really. It would go down as a random electrical fire, and none would be the wiser. Poor Adam. Poor Cassidy. At least I knew they wouldn't be alone. You've been listening to The Sidewalk Man by K.E. Brown. Well, listeners, that's it for tonight. Be sure to join us next week, where we'll have two more tales of terror for you. Until then, I'm Eric Peabody, and even though you can't see it, I'm raising my glass, wishing all of us a haunting new year. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, 
all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, username Viking Guitar, and also on Instagram as Viking Guitar Productions. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody. Finalization by Craig Groshek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave us a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.